We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed hello sunshine i'm alexi lawless and welcome to the state of the union podcast where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red white and blue colored glasses this week our second episode of the week uh, we are taping this early i am once again on the road now not to auckland new zealand as i was uh, last week but i'm actually heading up to uh, san francisco i'm actually doing an appearance with uh the legendary Brian McBride of the U.S. men's national team uh, as a player and now the general manager of the U.S. men's national team. So that's going to be fun to see him, talk to him and talk to the good folks up there when it comes uh, to uh, to San Francisco. But what we wanted to do was put together a, a show here. And so we have a interview with another legend. Uh, the great Carly Lloyd joins us. I saw her down in Auckland for the Women's World Cup draw. So she's going to join us in the first segment, and we're going to talk all about the women's national team and that draw. Then in the second segment, we're going to continue on with our deep dive into the positions when it comes to the U.S. men's national team. Again, that roster drop is happening on November 9th, and the 26 players that Greg Berhalter uh, is going to bring and that are going to make that plane to Qatar for the uh, World Cup in November and December. And we're going to do the uh, the midfield situation on this pod and look into all of the different players that potentially could be on that plane or are going to be on the plane. Uh, and then our final segment is going to be a look ahead. As we uh, as we know, MLS playoffs coming uh, this weekend. So a lot of MLS uh, uh, stuff to talk about, and then some EPL and I think some La Liga stuff that we're looking forward to uh, this weekend when it comes to all the soccer that we are watching. And then I'll give you my one for the road here. So that's a recap. Uh, Mossy, by the way, uh, welcome. Everything good? Everything is good. Um, are we ready to uh, light this candle? Let's do it. All right, let's jump right into our interview with the great Carly Lloyd. All right, we're welcoming in one of the greats, Mossy, and, and a return uh, performer when it comes to the State of the Union, the great Carly Lloyd, our colleague coming up for the uh, Men's World Cup. I I'm talking to Carly. I'm seeing Carly here through the screen, but we were just together uh, a mere hours ago back in uh, in New Zealand for the Women's World Cup draw that she hosted. And I'll tell you what, Mossy, before, before we even talk to Carly, I just want to say, she did an incredible job. It is not easy, and I got a peek behind the scenes as to what was going on. She did not miss a beat. Uh, she could do this uh, for a living if she if she wanted. It was wonderful to see, incredibly professional and entertaining and interesting and beautiful. Everything that she did was wonderful. How was that for an introduction, Carly? First off, did you get any sleep? I got some sleep, but yes, uh, I appreciate the introduction. Um, I'm not quite up to to your level yet, so no, no. I'm still chasing that. You were wonderful, and we had a really good time. And I want to talk to you a little bit uh, about, you know, the full experience because you know we were down there for a week, and you were rehearsing. Many of our viewers and many of our listeners have watched draw shows and FIFA draw shows, and they are, you know glitz and glamour and spectacle and they have their own kind of aesthetic but get, before we get into the actual draw give us a little peek behind the scenes as to what you had to do and i'm not just talking about the the 10 or 20 different rehearsals that you had but but that experience for you hosting the draw show down there yeah it, you know it's it's an honor and i think you know being a player for so long you you just watch the draw you don't know exactly what goes into it but there is a massive massive team behind the show um it, it is a full on show there's presenters there's performers there's hosts um there's you know uh, the likes of you that have to strategically pull out the balls um, you know, and it, and it's incredible. I mean, yes, we, we had loads and loads of rehearsals, um, script changes, 
um, you know, just, just everything, but to get the experience in Doha for the men's world cup, um, and then to come in and, and be able to, uh, co co-conduct the, the women's world cup draw. I mean, obviously that felt, uh, a, a bit more special, obviously, um, having played for the national team for so long and yeah, it was incredible. I mean, the team that, that made this show all possible, um, you know, was, was unbelievable. Long, long days, a lot of hours, not a lot of sleep, um, but it was an incredible honor and, you know, it was really exciting from my standpoint. Well, you mentioned uh, you, you had hosted the uh, draw in um, in Doha for the upcoming Qatar World Cup. Again, you'll be uh, our colleague going over there. Um, and then you didn't miss a beat. And now you've done the uh, the women's peek behind the curtain. So, I mean, you're doing a whole lot more than the likes of me and, and others there in terms of what we are doing. And even saying that we had multiple rehearsals and there's a protocol, Mossy, in terms of how you are supposed to address the bowls, how you are supposed to obviously pick the ball out of the bowl and then obviously open it up. And, you know, they're very, very particular about how they want you to go about doing things. All right, Carla, listen, enough, uh, enough about that. Let's get to the important <laughs> thing, because a lot of people, when they were watching the draw, they said, you know, don't bore us, get to the chorus, get to the actual picking of the teams, because that's what we are there for ultimately. And that's what we are looking forward to next summer when this uh, when this World Cup happens. Um, OK, as we mentioned, this is the biggest World Cup in uh, Women's World Cup history with uh, the 32 teams. It's the first time it's happening down in the Southern uh, Hemisphere. The United States, as we know, defending champions going for three in a row, a, th- a three-peat, something that uh, no team, men's or women's, has ever done. When it comes to the uh, U.S.'s group, Group E, United States, Vietnam, our friends, the Netherlands, and then one of three teams when it comes to playoffs that are going to be happening uh, uh, next year. Uh, keep in mind, as in uh, uh, in playing in Group E, all of the games for the U.S. Uh, in group stage will be in New Zealand. We'll get to some other groups here, but they split it up into the diff- four four groups are playing in Australia for group stage and four groups are playing in New Zealand. The United States' group games, as we said, in Group E will all be in New Zealand. All right. First thoughts, th- uh, Carly, when it comes to United States, Vietnam, Netherlands, and then a, a team to be named later. I like the group. I think, uh, you know, starting off with Vietnam, it it will give some of these lesser, younger, experienced players um, a taste of what a World Cup is is like. But, uh, you know, we all know, you know, getting to a World Cup is is difficult. um, And then, you know, kicking off a World Cup is even more difficult. Teams are sharp. They're ready. Uh, there's a different mindset going into it and uh, it's going to be very challenging. You know, I, as a player, I never wanted to ever look at any of our groups and think, um, oh, this is a hard group. This is an easy group. You know, it, it, it's a long way to get to that final. And uh, it's it's very important to make sure you just take it one game at a time. Um, but I do I do like the, the group. Uh, but you know, it's, it's going to be the most competitive world cup. So it's, it's not going to be an easy thing to get to the final. Well, Carly, that third group opponent could potentially be Thailand, which would no doubt be another blowout victory. Hopefully the U S women comport themselves with a bit more class this time around. (laughs) I know I'm on the, I'm on the other side of this now. (laughs) Um, yeah, you know, look, you can never take your foot off the gas in a world cup. Um, do, do, Players want to go out and crush teams with that many goals. Not at all, but um, you, you have to keep that momentum going. And it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you just can't let your foot off that gas. So uh, it's, you know, it's tough. Um, looking at the draw overall, there is this narrative that the U.S. got a favorable path to the final in that England, France and Germany are all on the other side. But if the U.S. was to finish second in its group, which is possible with the Netherlands being in there, they would likely face Sweden in the round of 16. You also have... Spain on that side of the bracket, which if they ever have all their players available, could be one of the best teams in the tournament. So do you think it's that easy of a path to the final or has that narrative been overblown a little bit? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's easy by any means. Um, you know, teams teams are catching the U.S. And, and I've been saying it, you know, all throughout the draw and in interviews. Um, we've we've been a, ahead of the game for quite some time as far as support investment. Uh, and now you're seeing that around the globe, um, you know, more teams are are being funded and supported. And, um, you know, the 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 gap that the U.S. has had for for so many years um, is is very, very small. So anytime the U.S. steps out onto the field, there's no guarantees of winning. 
Um, and that's the the beauty of how far the women's game has come and what's to come uh, as well. But I I would I would never uh, start out by saying that it's an easy path to a World Cup because you never know what's going to happen. Um, there's all the unknowns. There's you know potential of yellow card suspensions that our, our team has faced in 2015. There's injuries that could potentially happen. I mean, there's all sorts of things. So. Um, yeah, nothing is ever easy when you lift that trophy. Carly, uh, you're not just a wonderful host of draws, but you're an incredible uh, and legendary player. And I want to bring you back to what you what you mentioned um, uh, about the previous World Cup. And, you know, the this is expanded World Cup. But even back at the previous World Cup, there were and there continue to be new teams uh, that that whole Thailand uh, brouhaha. How did it affect you because we were on the outside and people were screaming and yelling about you know uh, not not behaving correctly or not reacting correctly and all this I thought it was BS I thought the whole thing was BS you're at the World Cup uh, we are the the the, uh, the defending champions and we're there to win games and as you mentioned nobody's there to embarrass anybody but this is the World Cup and I'm going to talk more about this later on in the uh, in the pod but how did that affect you and the team when some of the criticism even the criticism from home came out about running up the score or the way that you reacted um, in that moment and then pushing pushing it forward when you are going to face teams and I'm not talking about the Netherlands but we all know there's a handful of teams that really challenge the United States but you are going to be facing teams where you could run up the score and by the way Mossy you mentioned it Goal differential could be an important part of this group relative to coming first or second. So you cannot take your foot off the pedal. No, absolutely not. And I think in 2019, you know, after we played Thailand and, um, you know, scored, scored many goals, um, obviously, you know, we, we hear, we hear things, we, we see things. Um, it's very easy to, to have access to the news around the globe. And uh, we all kind of just chuckled. And, you know, I think it, it motivated us even more um, because as, a, as an athlete, when you're in that situation, like you said, you, you can't take your foot off the gas. Um, it, World Cups are all about building momentum. And the moment that you step out there and say, you know what, uh, we're going to go a little bit easier. Um, we're not doing ourselves any justice. We're not doing, you know, uh, the team we're facing any justice. Um, I, I thought what was really beautiful after that Thailand game is, you know, moments um, where you saw some of us players, uh, you know, hugging the, the opponent at uh, Thailand. And, uh, you know, they were they were so gracious and, um, you know, being able to play the number one team in the world at the time. And um, th that's what it's all about. And I think that there are going to be score lines like that in this World Cup. That that's just um, the reality of it with the expanded uh, teams, and uh, it's important to do whatever is possible to to continue that momentum. And um, that's that's the most important thing. But as we've always done, I mean, 2015, um, no one thought we were going to get out of our group of death, and uh, it, it's it's a bit more motivating and uh, makes it sweeter in the end. Uh, Carly, there's nine months until the World Cup. We know there's a lot of potential for growth with the U.S. team if Macario comes back and young players like Rodman and Gurma and Sophia Smith keep developing. But right now, if the World Cup was tomorrow, how many European teams do you think are as good or better than the U.S.? Uh, I, I think it's it's very close. I think at the end of the day, you know, these teams are tactically sophisticated, technically uh, very good. Um, but what I'm seeing a shift is on the mental and physical side. We're no longer, you know, way mentally stronger and, 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 and more fit than these teams. Um, you're seeing teams being able to go for 90 minutes. You're seeing teams step out into the field where they used to lose the game before they stepped out and played us. Now they're stepping out. And they're feeling confident that they can beat us. And that is the shift and that is the change. And you can have a, a team full of amazing, talented players. But as we've seen throughout the, the course of uh, championships, one, it, it's not all about talent. Um, getting to a World Cup and, and winning a World Cup really is all between the ears. Uh, it's the mind. It's the mentality. It's hard. It's gruesome. 
you've got pressure, you have, uh, you know, expectations, you have obligations um, throughout the tournament, you know, the, the media are saying certain things. It's, um, it's going to be really, really hard. And I, I think the biggest test for this U.S. group is, is going to be the mentality. Do they all have what it takes to dig deep to, uh, you know, weather, weather the roller coaster of a ride. And, um, if not, you know, you're, you're going to see some other team lifting that trophy. So I think at the moment right now, um, it's fair game for anybody. Well, that mentality is something that you and many of your colleagues over the years have cultivated that they have to live up to. But you, know, you mentioned something there that was interesting about you know the evolution and the progress of many of the other teams and some debutants that we have here. When you look at it relative to the U.S., and there was a lot of talk during the draw about you know how far the rest of the world has come. Have they caught up? To, to your point, have they possibly passed us when it comes to the U.S.? Is it is it more what other countries have done or is there an element of what the United States hasn't done? And if so, can you can you pinpoint any of those things? I guess that's 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 a it's a long question in terms of asking what are the things that the rest of the world has done to catch up and what are the things maybe from the US standpoint that we haven't done and maybe need to do to stay even a fraction ahead uh ahead of the the rest of the world. Uh, you know, I think the the rest of the world, um, yeah, there's there's been more support and there's been more investment. Their leagues have gotten more competitive. Um, you know, I, I don't know that it's necessarily anything you know different that they're doing. Um, I I think it's it's just the the confidence in the rest of the world um, to know that the U.S. is no longer just the the lone sole powerhouse out there. Um, we are beatable. And unfortunately, you saw that in Tokyo. You know, we went in as as one of the top teams to bring home a gold medal. Loads of talent, um, but we didn't get it done because a lot of different reasons. Uh, you see a, a team like Canada, don't think they're better than the U.S., um, but they were a better team than us. And that's why they lifted or receive that gold medal. So I think from the U S standpoint, um, we have all the resources, you know, even more resources than when I first started on this team, you have an incredible amount of support staff. Um, you have, you know, the equipment guy bringing your boots to training. You don't have to worry about, um, you know, the, the massages. I mean, there's not, anything unturned that the U.S. team doesn't have at their fingertips. Um, and so I think that what I'm seeing is, is, you know, just the mentality is a little bit different. It's just a, it's a new group of players, um, a, a different mentality, a different generation. And uh, you never want to get complacent. You never want to think that you've won anything when you haven't won anything. And uh, so I, I don't think that there's necessarily anything in particular that isn't being done. It's can they keep pushing on the legacy that that has made this national team so special from the start? Hold and, on, Carly. Um, did you did you just did you just grumpy old woman uh, the uh, U.S. Women's National Team? Are they a bunch of spoiled brats in terms of what they have and they're taking it all for granted? No, no. But it's hard. It's hard to uh, it's hard to stay at the top. It's hard to be the number one team all the time. Um, you're seeing just loads more of more support because the, the game has come so far and, and that's just the way it is. You know, you've got the, the pioneers and 99ers who didn't have what we all had mm -hmm. in, in my, in my years. And now, you know, the, the team is getting um, more things than, than what my group has, has had too. That's just, that's the evolution of the game. That's, that's how, uh, you make things better, but you still have to have that hunger, that that will and uh, that mentality to win at all costs. And, you know, if it once you lose that, um, it doesn't matter the support you have. It doesn't matter all of the things that you have, um, because it's not going to make a difference if you don't have that mentality. So, um, you know, we've pushed the game further and further. The, the national team has become better and better. 
Um, but it's up to each and every player to to hold on to that mentality. That for me is is what's going to win the next World Cup for them. Uh, Carly, how would you rate the job that Vladko Andonovsky has done so far? U.S. fans seem a little split on him. Are you confident that he's the kind of manager that is up to it, that can lead the U.S. to another World Cup title? Yeah, you know, I, I think it, people are going to say all kinds of things. Um, there's loads of opinions out there. I've, you know, was able to play for Vlako for uh, a short, short period of time towards the end of my career. And um, knows the game very well, you know, tactically, um, made me think of the game in, in a different light and, um, you know, continue to push on my game. So I think that, yeah, he tactically, you know, knows the game very well. Um, and, and really I think the players for me watching from afar, um, they just need to play a little bit more free flowing. You know, when you watch England and and have watched them in the Euros and watched them against the national team just recently, everything just seems a little bit more free flowing. Um, you know, playing off, off instincts. Um, you know, knowing where the the player is going to be uh, before the the ball even comes to them. So I think that the U.S. right now are still trying to to kind of figure things out. There's obviously loads of injuries, players that are missing, uh, which are going to come back. You don't know how those players are going to come back after their injuries. Um, but uh, I think, you know, Vlaco's he's doing a good job. Um, the telling time is, is going to be, you know, nine months from now, um, how the team's going to look. They have another two good friendlies coming up against Germany. And then, uh, you know, come January, uh, we will we will see what happens. But um, like I said, I'm going to keep harping on the mentality. I, I think you could you could be the smartest coach out there, have the most unbelievable tactics. But if the group doesn't believe within and they don't have the mentality to find a way to win at all costs, you're just you're not winning a World Cup. Carly, before we let you go here, uh, and this is much more of a big picture type of question, but you, you talked a lot about mentality and the, and the Carly Lloyd mentality is something of legend. A lot of people talk about it. Very few people have it. When you look out over your career uh, and you look out at women's soccer, who are some people that you think have a similar, similar mentality to you? It doesn't have to be U.S. players uh, that either have existed in the past and played in the past that you have played against or with out there. And then maybe some uh, right now that you would look to either teams or players that we could possibly see in the uh, in the World Cup next summer that you say that's the right mentality. It doesn't mean they're winning everything, but that they have that mentality that you can appreciate and respect and recognize. Uh, I would say the the first standout one, um, you know, probably pop on Germany. Um, you know, I was unfortunate how her Euros ended, uh, but you could just you you can see it in in the players' eyes. You you can see that there's another couple of levels and gears to them. Um, and I think you know, from the collective standpoint with England, um, you know, they may not necessarily have one or two players that that pop out. Um, I think just collectively that inner belief that they have from the U.S. side over the years. I mean, it, you know, I learned from the best. I learned from Shannon Box and uh, Christine Lilly. You know, Abby um, it, practices were absolutely brutal. You know, if you did not bring your best every single day, players were going to let you know or players would would tackle you and send a message as well. Um, you know, Julie Ertz brought that day in and day out. Uh, and and when you have players like that in the environment on a daily basis, you have to be at your absolute best. Um, and that's what has you know made this this team um, just so unbelievable for the years. I mean, I could. I could go on and on. I mean, Christy Rampone, um, it's just been, it's been incredible to have learned from so many of them of, of what the team is all about and how you have to to elevate yourself each and every day to, to make sure that the, the whole group is, is elevating as well. All right. All right. Standing here right now. Uh, and, and like you said, there's still some time to go, but if you had to say right now, does the U S repeat, uh, sorry, three Pete. Ah, you know, being a player, you always like when, when people are knocking you down and, and not, uh, not supporting up right in this particular moment. I, I, I'm probably going to have to say no. Okay. 
but there's time. Yep. And uh, they have a lot to prove. And uh, that's the beauty of it. You know, I think that they still have a lot more time to grow and become even better. So I'm excited to see that and um, excited to see what's to come for them. Well, that's, uh, you know, to your point, I remember telling you to your face before the previous World Cup that I didn't think that you and the team were going to win the World Cup. And you certainly showed me. And so if there is an element of motivation behind your pick right there, then they can send the money to Carly Lloyd for that motivation. It's going to be fun. And we can't wait to uh, see you in, uh, in Qatar. And again, well done and congratulations on uh, hosting a yet another FIFA draw, the Women's World Cup uh, draw 2023 down in Auckland, New Zealand. You were just you were wonderful to watch. Uh, you were fun. You were uh, funny. You were uh, beautiful. And um, you're, I think you got a job for a long time when it comes to hosting these uh, these FIFA, these FIFA draws. Uh, go get some sleep because it's been a long <laughs> week for you and uh, we will talk soon. Thank you so much. The great Carly Lloyd. Appreciate it. Okay, welcome back. I thought that was uh, really interesting and great with uh, with Carly Lloyd. It's always fun to hear what she has to say about the team. And I think you got a real good sense of, you know, as I mentioned, that that Carly Lloyd spirit and personality and character and mentality. And it is now legendary when it comes to the way she thinks about the game and the way she th- thought as a player about herself in the game and the different paths and twists and turns uh, that she took. So uh, thank you to Carly Lloyd. And we look forward to also working with her uh, coming in November and December. So she'll be on our studio desk talking about all the events going on when it comes to the uh, World Cup in Qatar. All right, Mossy, last uh, last pod, we went and we did a little deep dive into the situations and the positions that Greg Berhalter has. And we focused on the wingers and the striker position in uh, the earlier pod. This week, we wanted to focus in on the midfield situations. Again, as we said before, a wealth of talent when it comes to the players that Greg Berhalter has at his disposal. You know, maybe golden generation uh, when, it, when it comes to all of the different players, where they are playing and how good they are. Uh, where do you want to start here? Well, if uh, we're assuming the U.S. is going to play in a 4-3-3, yes. okay. then most people seem to be picking six midfield players, a starter and a backup at each spot. Keep in mind, as we discussed when we did our strikers and wingers, there are players like Gio Reyna and Brendan Aronson who might nominally go as wingers, but who can play in the midfield as well. But I think most people expect the starters to be Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, and Yunus Musa. Uh, and then I've seen players like Acosta, Luca De La Torre, uh, most people are pretty confident they're going to be there as backups. I think Malik Tillman has a great chance to be in there as well uh, as that other backup eight, if you will. Um, so I would start there and, and go from there. Okay, so yes, I, I, I have yet to meet, well, that's not, that's not true, but there are very few people that don't have Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, and Eunice Musa, including Greg Berhalter, I think. And look, Best laid plans, we all understand that, and knock on wood that everybody is healthy. As we know, uh, even Yunus Musa missed the last window because of some injuries. Tyler Adams has had a, a history of, uh, of injuries. Even Weston McKinney this year has uh, been out for extended periods because of injuries. They are all back. They are all playing. Uh, and knock on wood, they are all healthy. And if that is the case, that is a formidable type of three, and I think they've developed a really good uh, connection and understanding about the roles specific to the way that Greg Berhalter wants them to play. Tyler Adams is, you know, a, he's not a reluctant leader, but he's just much more kind of reserved and mature beyond his years when he talks about the game and when you talk to him about the game. Um, I think that he may, if he's healthy, he may end up being one of those un- unsung heroes of the sport. He's not flashy, but I think that Greg Berhalter recognizes that there is a consistency of play and more importantly, an understanding of exactly what the role is in terms of cleaning up in that, in that middle three right there. Uh, anything on Tyler Adams? No, I agree. And, and, and by the way, the Geo and Aronson scenario kicks in if they do play that double pivot with Adams and Musa and have more of a 10 and then you could see Gio or Aronson play that role, which I guess would mean dropping Wesson McKinney. Uh, but, you know, something to think when about. When it comes to dropping one of those three, the ones that I have heard the most um, have been Eunice Musa. Even though I 
agree with my good friend Stu Holden in that he, for now, the last year, has targeted Musa as the breakout player and as has to be on the field. And yet when you start trying fit to fit in some of these players, um, when it comes down to it, people will say it's Musa that has to come out uh, relative to replacing one of those three as opposed to Tyler Adams or, uh, or Weston McKinney. Weston McKinney, uh, I love him, but at times I'm sure he can be frustrating to play with on the field and to put in as a coach because, you know, at times he freeforms it. And that can produce some wonderful results. But I think as he's grown and matured, he's kind of more picking and choosing his moments. And I think that's a good thing. I just think it's a form of, you know, I think it's come from playing in Syria, in particular for Juventus, where his energy and his explosiveness and his coming late out of the midfield, he gets to pick and choose his moments when he, uh, when he does that. And I think it can be incredibly valuable. Although, if it doesn't work, he can get caught out of position, and that's where you're going to need the help of the Tyler Adams and, uh, and Eunice Musa. If some of those players are hurt, we mentioned already, you know, Kellen Acosta at times has played and played very well under Greg Berhalter. And the interesting thing is, I talk so much about set pieces, right? This particular team, as great as it is and has evolved as it is, I don't think they've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. I just think that they're not particularly good on set pieces. They, they should be better on, and, and set pieces should be a much, a much more lethal tool that we have. And it's not for lack of height. We have plenty of players that are good in the air, whether it's you know a, a Walker Zimmerman uh, or an Aaron Long, or just being really good in the air, whether you're tall or not, like a Weston, Weston McKinney. I do think that at times using Christian Pulisic as your free tick, kick taker has not been good. I mean, while Christian Pulisic is very good at a lot of things, I don't think he has a consistency. Kellen Acosta, even though I don't think he's going to start, actually is much better in terms of the ball that he serves in. And so in a, in a strange world, and I don't want anybody to get hurt, but who knows? At some point, Kellen Acosta might get on the field. And if for nothing, nothing else, his service, if he's allowed to take it, might be the difference between scoring a goal, not scoring a goal, and even uh, winning a goal. So I do think that Kellen Acosta is going to uh, going to be there. We talked about Paul Ariola and the way that he can play multiple multiple uh, positions. I think Luca Della Torre has done enough to be on that plane, even though he's not playing a lot for Celta Vigo right now. Um, he still, I think, has shown in that Greg uh, Berhalter system that he can come in and provide a, to your point, a, a different look. Because some of these guys comes, come in and, and it changes, even though it's three, it changes the way they play. So you've identified five guys, obviously the three starters, McKinney, Musa, Adams, and then um, Acosta and Delatore that you think are yes. pretty much locks. So if we were to squeeze in a sixth midfielder, I'm giving it to Malik Tillman. Uh, do you see somebody else, a Mihailovic or somebody that could sneak in there? I'd give it to Jordi Mihaljevic, but I think it's going to be Malik Tillman. I think that Greg Berhalter has a a fondness for him, and I and I do too. I think he I think he can be a good player. Um, yeah, but Jordi Mihaljevic timing is everything, Mossy, and just his timing is not great. He was hurt earlier in the year when it was supposed to be his kind of coming out party. You know, again, I thought he was great for Montreal down the stretch and showed even in the playoffs that you know why he has gotten a move to to Europe. And I just think for me, if you know people ask me who's going to be your biggest surprise, it could be one of those where on that November 9th day when Greg Berhalter is reading it out, you hear Jordi Mahalovich because he had come into camp or whatever or done enough where just take a flyer on him. Uh, anybody else? Uh, I, I know we've got a list here. Johnny Cardoso's on there. I don't um, think Johnny's done enough. No. Yeah. And I don't think he's, he's made enough of an, a positive impact, not just to us on the outside watching, but on the inside to the coaching staff to say that that's, that's going to fly. So bottom line, Adams, Musa McKinney, Acosta, De La Torre, and then either Tillman or Mihailovic. That's how you would... Yeah. That's the that's the way that I look at it. you know because I put Paul Oriola and like a Christian Roldan at, at much more of a, a winger type of thing because I do think that Christian Roldan is, is going to find a way to be there. I just think he is so liked that 
that Greg Berhalter is going to find a way to be there. I'm going to run out of spots real quick here because <laughs> <laughs> everybody's going to be on this plane. Uh, all right, that's it. All right, let's take another quick break. And when we come back, uh, we'll take a look towards the weekend because there's some interesting stuff going on when it comes to Major League Soccer. Don't go anywhere. Okay, we're back, and we are in the midst of these MLS playoffs, and we have come down to the conference finals. Uh, as we mentioned, the Eastern Con- uh, Conference final features the Philadelphia Union hosting NYCFC. That is on Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern time on ABC. And then the Western Conference final, LAFC hosting um, Austin. That happens on Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern time on FS1. Okay. Uh, Philadelphia versus NYCFC, Mossy. Who you got and why? Uh, I think Philadelphia get their revenge uh, from last year. Uh, obviously, uh, they have all their players available. That's uh, a stark contrast to uh, the last playoff meeting. And just, I know we didn't see it against Cincinnati, but just this firepower, Carranza, Ura, Gazdag, I think they're more equipped to win a big playoff game uh, this year than they've ever been before. And I think it's their year. I think they're going to MLS Cup. I think the fact that they have, well, almost all their players, because we still don't know whether uh, Bedoya, yeah. Bedoya is back. And so they've done it without Bedoya. And he has been a, a, a talisman. He's been talismatic, right? right, right <laughs> That's right. what they say for the union. I think the problem is that actually being at full strength or close to full strength relative to last year, uh, I think it's going to give them a false sense of security. I think NYCFC, who, you know, as we know, I have in my final and winning in my final, uh, beat the Philadelphia Union and go to their second final in a row. Yes. I th- uh, now, look, both great teams. I do think that Philadelphia has the slight edge when it comes to goalkeeping. We talked earlier this week about, you know, like a Stuver or something like that, which can fundamentally change your, uh, your fates. And Andre Blake is just phenomenal. And there's a reason why not only winning goalkeeper of the year, but also he was up for Major League Soccer MVP. A uh, question on NYCFC. Even if Talis Magnu is deemed completely healthy, Eber has scored in both playoff games so far. So do you think he starts up top and Magno is a super sub? Well, I don't, I don't like Ma- Talis Magno up top anyway. I think he's better out wide. But I don't, yeah, I don't think that he takes, if it's only Eber or Talis Magno, given the fact that uh, Talis Magno is or was hurt, yeah, I think you go to Ever. I think he plays a position better. And of those young Brazilians, it's interesting. Right now, Gabriel Pereira is the guy that's really emerged and feels like the most important of the three between himself, Talis Magna, and Thiago Andrade. Um, yeah, he's really come on nicely. Former Corinthians player, so I'm loving watching him. Yeah. All right. So, so you got Philly, and I got NYCFC. Yep. All right. Should we move on to the uh, Western Conference final? Yep. LAFC hosting Austin. Oh, my goodness. Delectable. Wonderful. Um, you know, we talked earlier in the week about what LAFC is or isn't. First off, uh, do you think that uh, Vale or Killini will, well, do you think they'll start? I don't think either will start. Do you think that they'll both be on the bench? Yes. Okay, so at least for Bale, that's a step up, right? So he's actually in contention to get some playing time, right? Uh, as opposed to Kalini, uh, who was on the bench over there and will be, uh, will be brought in. Um, I'm going with... Uh, LAFC over Austin. I think it, you know, wonderful year for uh, for Austin, but I think LAFC is feeling it. I think at home, uh, I, th- I just think they're a better team, ultimately. I agree. I think we're headed for a dream MLS Cup. Uh, really, we can't go wrong with no, any of these matchups. No but, you know, we talk about how unpredictable the MLS playoffs are. We could have a showdown of two number one seeds that were the two best teams in the regular season uh, by far in, in Philadelphia and LAFC battle for the supporter show. So that would be kind of interesting if the, the playoffs feel like an extension of the regular so season. So where can MLS Cup be? All right. Obviously, it can be at LAFC because they're the number one, one seed. If they were to win and go to MLS Cup, then for sure they are hosting it. And then it would be... Can it be in New York? No. Okay. It can be in Austin, though, right? Correct. If NYCFC win and Austin win, Correct. then it could be, oh, my God, can you imagine MLS Cup in Austin? Wow. Wow. I, I think it's going to be in L.A. anyway. Um, it's, a, it's a shame because if NYCFC, I'd love to see an MLS Cup at Rentschler Field. <laughs> You're such a jerk. I love you. <laughs> I love you. Um, so, really, you don't think that Jerusalem and company have enough to come into LAFC and... Uh, 
and find a result there. Not a result. It's going to be a great game. And as I said, they won both uh, regular season meetings. Uh, but I, I just think it's I just think it's LAFC and Philadelphia's years. They're they're going to go to MLS Cup, and we're going to get this uh, collision. All right. Uh, so that's what we'll be watching when it comes to an MLS uh, perspective. And you know, by the end of the weekend, we will have our MLS Cup uh, final. We, when I say we at Fox. Uh, we are broadcasting. We are privileged enough to be able to broadcast this MLS Cup. So we will find our way either staying here in, in Los Angeles uh, or going to Philadelphia or who knows, maybe even going to Austin, depending on the uh, the results. What else is happening this weekend, Masi? Yeah, a couple of games in Europe we want to highlight. Uh, first one in England, uh, Liverpool hosting Leeds. And the reason we highlight this game, obviously, is because it's make or break for Jesse Marsh. If he's still on the bench <laughs> by the time this match occurs, uh, if they were to lose this game badly, which is entirely possible. I know Liverpool have been hot and cold this season, but when they've been good, they've been really good. I mean, they're the type of team you catch them on the wrong day. They could beat you five or six nil. So uh, Jesse's got to pull a rabbit out of the hat here. Otherwise, I think he's in real trouble. I mean, and again, Jesse, if, if Jesse gets fired, right, what is he... He's really going to have have to be or be able to say, you know, we played well and nobody cares. Ultimately, it's about winning. I, I understand that. But in this case, if you look at Leeds and the games that they have played, and I guess more importantly, the games that they have lost, they've rarely just been blown off the field. OK, from a score and or playing perspective and the amount of chances that they have missed. And, you know, Jesse Marsh can only do so much. And this isn't me excusing the results because Jesse is a big boy. He understands that it comes with the territory and you have to recognize that it's much easier to fire a coach than it, or a manager than it is to fire a team. And ultimately you are going to, you're going to take the hit. But you know, even in the game uh, last weekend, the amount of opportunities and clear cut opportunities that were missed is appalling, is appalling. So they're going to have to find a way obviously to convert those, uh, those chances and regardless of how it end up, ends up happening, get the result. And while this is a poor Liverpool team, it still is a better team than Leeds. So they got their handful. I think losing to Liverpool would not necessarily be the, uh, you know, the ultimate moment. Losing badly to Liverpool, I don't think that's going to bode well uh, for, uh, for Jesse Marsh. And so if it is you know, the final nail in the coffin um, in order to avoid it. Try not to, if you're going to lose, don't lose badly to Liverpool. Easier said than done. Um, and then one game in Spain, we'll have an eye on Valencia hosting Barcelona. Barcelona looking to keep pace with Real Madrid at the top of the table. So that should be a pretty good one. Okay. Anything else? A um, couple of non-European uh uh, this upcoming weekend is the Copa Libertadores final uh, on Saturday. Flamengo against Atlético Paranaense, third straight year. It's an all-Brazilian affair. This match taking place at Guayaquil, Ecuador, one of your favorite cities. Wow. My goodness. Home of uh, Emelec. Um, and we'll see how many fans are there. As we've talked about on the podcast last few weeks, that's been sort of a narrative that these uh, one-off neutral venue finals in South America haven't really been as successful as they hoped. The, I think the Libertadores ones have been pretty good, but the Sudamericana ones haven't. We'll see how the Libertadores one looks, if that stadium is packed and it looks like a great atmosphere and befitting of a continental final. So when was the last time that a, a Brazilian team didn't win? Um, so you have to go back to uh, 2018, which was the uh, River Boca final, which remember oh, right, the yeah. second leg of that, there was all sorts of crowd trouble. And so that had to be moved to Madrid. And so we, we in a sense, got the neutral venue final thing going a year earlier than anticipated right. because that sort of turned into that. And then it's been like that ever since. Flamengo won it 2019, beat River Plate, got the goal with a couple late goals in that one. And then... It's now, this is the third straight all-Brazilian final. Well, what's then. your safe money on, if you had to put it on someone? Uh, Flamengo should win. Um, uh, a few things to keep an eye on. Uh, they have a, a center forward, Pedro, who is the top scorer in the Libertadores uh, this year, who is likely to go to the World Cup with Brazil. So from in terms of a World Cup perspective, uh, you should watch the game just for that. Okay. Um, and then if you're thinking ahead to the 2026 World Cup in the... Uh, United States. Atlético Paranaense have a young teenage striker, Vito Hockey, who I love, who I think is one of the great up-and-coming talents in Brazilian football. He's going to be in a, at a big year. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm doing It's an R. I'm pronouncing it you know, authentically. Well, I mean, look, if I can call a guy hockey, I'm going to call a guy hockey. I mean, Vito Rocky, if you want to <laughs> Americanize it. 
Um, so uh, have an eye on those two guys. And, you know, you have some recognizable names. Fernandinho plays for Atlético Paranaense. David Luiz plays for Flamengo. You know, these veteran guys that come back um, to play in South American football late in their careers. Flamengo are coached by Scolari, World Cup winner in 2002, also presided over the 7-1 in 2014. But he's looking to win the Libertadores with a third different club. He's already won it with Gremio and Palmeiras. So, uh, so there are plenty of storylines there. Hopefully people check it out. And most importantly, from an American perspective, there's Seattle Sounders Club World Cup uh, implications. implications yes. uh, the winner of this final goes to that tournament. The draw hasn't occurred yet. We don't even know where and when that tournament will occur, but presumably it'll take place sometime in early 2023. Yeah, February and 23, I think. Depending on how the draw shakes out, uh, Seattle could be facing the South American champion in a semifinal, so it would be either Flamengo or Atlético Paranaense. So Seattle Sounders fans want to watch this game to scout a potential opponent awesome. for the Club World Cup. And then uh, one more for you, uh, League MX. We've reached the final. Toluca against Pachuca over two legs. The second leg is on Sunday, and so I'll be able to talk about that on our first pod of next week. Next week. Uh, so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the Libertadores final and everything else, MLS, Europe, et cetera. Oh, my goodness. All right, cool. Um, all right, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, I'll give you my uh, one for the road. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of uh, another uh, episode here. And uh, at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. This week, uh, or not this week, this show, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, Women's World Cup and what it is and what it isn't. And it was wonderful talking to Carly Lloyd. And, it, you know, if you listened, a couple times I, I brought her back to that game against Thailand because I think it said a whole lot about women's soccer and the Women's World Cup. And it was interesting being down in uh, in Auckland, Mossy, and, and seeing you know the incredible excitement about what is going to come to Australia and New Zealand for what it means for those countries, but for what it means for um, the Women's World Cup and women's soccer, but just what it means for soccer. And it's grown so fast and has really shown you know a power and value to the hosts, uh, to the participants, and ultimately to FIFA. But, you know, Carly was talking about that, that Thailand game where for a lot of people, uh, they were critical and, you know, even at times cringing because they viewed it as the U.S. beating up on obviously inferior competition and, you know, not doing it in a way that they felt was proper or respectful. And as I told Carly, I think that that's BS. I think it's ridiculous. The women's game, or in this case, the Women's World Cup, it is, it is not a charity, okay? This is a competition. And yes, it is expanded. And yes, there are greater goods that come out of a World Cup. But ultimately, whether it's Carly Lloyd or any of the players that we are going to see represent their country next summer, the moment that whistle blows, it is about competition. And if you are in the competition, then I think it is up to you to make sure that you do everything in your power to win. And if that's continuing to score goals and a lot of goals, then you do it and you don't apologize for it now. You know, how you act and how you hold yourself before, during, and after, you know, that can come in for, uh, for criticism. But ultimately, this responsibility or greater good that we seem to be putting on, in this case, it was the U.S. women's national team, but it could apply to other national teams out there relative to who they are playing. Now, this is, this is competition. And whether it's the competition on the field or the competition off the field, what are, we what are we finding out is you should tune in and you should be a part of it and you should enjoy it. Again, not out of a sense of responsibility or a sense of charity, but because there is value. And when it comes to the money that is being put into the game, it's not a donation. Again, it's not a charity. It's because you're going to get something back. But the only way that this ultimately grows is if it is taken seriously and taking your foot off the gas, not playing up to your abilities, 
or being soft on other teams. That's not, that's not what sports is about. And at the highest level, that's not what sports are about. You are coming to the World Cup. You are coming to the highest level of your game, the highest level of competition, international competition. And you better bring it. And if you don't, and you are exposed for your weakness, don't cry and don't whine. Either as people being <laughs> on the bad end of a score, or if and when your team actually goes out and do what they, in many cases, are paid to do at the highest level and go and win. And so I'm excited. And so that first U.S. game against Vietnam, yes, I expect us to win. Yes, I expect us to win by multiple goals and a lot of goals and for it to be comprehensive from start to finish. And I expect us to score and to keep scoring and not to take our, our foot off the gas. And sure as hell, not to apologize to anybody for doing it. You're the number one team in the world, and this is the World Cup. Charity can happen later, and the experience of it that can be translated and transformed and brought back to a country and culture through the game, that can certainly, that, that can certainly happen. But I just thought it was interesting to hear Carly in that it almost motivated the, the U.S. team even more to hear that type of criticism back in the previous World Cup when they beat up on, uh, uh, on Thailand. And I just thought it was so strange and weird for an American soccer culture, but an American culture to toot, toot the U.S. women's national team for being good. You know, sure as hell don't have to apologize for being good and for being winners and for going out and wanting to win the game. Mossy, anything before we go? You know, I just asked that as sort of a jokey icebreaker first question. I didn't know it was going to spawn a one for the road. And, it, and it, we're it, still litigating this four years. We're, we're not later. litigating it. It just, <laughs> because immediately when that ball was drawn and it was Vietnam, I mean, I, I looked around and I saw the smirks and I saw the wheels starting to turn from people that, uh-oh, here we go. We could have another... Uh, well, and again, it could be Thailand again. And we, <laughs> we could have a Thailand thing. So, I mean, look, the U.S., we all know there's only a handful of teams out there that actually give us a game. And that's starting to change, okay? But while it's changing, the U.S. women's national team should never accept being less than what they are for the good of the game. No. Everybody else has to catch up to us. We don't have to hold back. And we never should. And by the way, they will catch up. And there will be times where they pass us. And that's, that's a good thing for the game. But, you know, we're not, we're not going to slow down so that people don't look bad in that race. All right. Anyway, Mossy. Anything else? That's it. All right. We thank you for uh, tuning into our uh, second episode uh, of the week, uh, State of the Union Soccer podcast. Well, I'm having a good time doing this. Are you, my friend? This podcast? Yeah, just in general. We've been doing it now a while. That's okay. That's okay. All right. Well, I'll take that. That's enough for me. Continue to uh, you know send us all your your questions out there, your Ask Alexi questions, and uh, continue to uh, you know give us uh, your feedback when it comes to the State of the Union podcast hotline six five seven five four nine two two nine seven. Another big thank you to uh, to Carly Lloyd, the great Carly Lloyd, for joining us yet again. She's becoming a regular. I think she enjoys it even more than you do. Um, I don't want to speak for her, but. Long live Carly, Carly Lloyd. Long live Rutgers University. Uh, we will talk to you again next week. And until then, and as always, size the day.